You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the TaxSmart REI podcast. In this episode, Brandon and I are going to be answering questions from the TaxSmart investors community. It's always great to hear what investors are looking for answers on and being able to provide value through gaining clarity on their situation. So we're going to be diving into that shortly after a quick word from our sponsors and a quick update on the TaxSmart investors community. Conventional investment strategies are changing. Gone are the days of investing in real estate strictly off of pro forma spreadsheets. The new market landscape has many investors reevaluating their portfolios and looking for the best place to passively earn a safe, consistent return. The Dual City Advantage Fund is an evergreen 506C open-ended fund that specializes in investing in commercial real estate. Dual City's ideal investor is an accredited investor who wants a portion of their portfolio in passive and diverse real estate investments without having the high risks of a single syndication. The Dual City Advantage Fund is outpacing public REIT ETFs by more than double, and while the rest of the market has been in flux, it has delivered consistent quarterly returns to its investors since its inception. To learn more about Dual City's value, strategies, and long-term vision, visit www.dualcityinvestments.com tom or call 846 846- 757-2429. Again, that's www.dualcityinvestments.com slash Tom or call 864-757-2429. All right, so we're back and now we're going to touch on just some items, what's going on in the tax market investors community. And the first things first is we are hiring. In fact, we are looking for tax seniors with real estate experience. Brandon, I think it's going to expand upon that. Yeah, so we are a remote-based firm. We currently have, I think, 42 employees. We've got overseas employees as well, uh, but 42 in the U.S. And we are looking for U.S. seniors to come in and help us with our tax compliance uh, department. So if you are you know, at a an accounting firm and you're getting burned out and you want to make a change, come hit us up. We're remote. We offer great benefits. We pay well. And one interesting thing about our firm is we have an objective bonus. So it's something that as you complete projects, you will be credited and you will be paid out. It's not like one of those, oh, cross my fingers and hope to be paid at the end of the year. Hope my bosses like me. Hope the firm does well. That's not how we structure it. So you you earn a percentage of revenue that you uh, complete for our clients. And we pay that every single year. And that puts our total compensation packages at the top of the pay range and sometimes even a little above. So if you're interested, hit us up at contact at com. We'll send you the job ad uh, so that you can just kind of see what the role looks like and you can send us your resume. And if it's a fit, we'll introduce you to the hiring team. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. So anyway, so what's going on in the tax market investors community? We just wrapped up a legal masterclass last week with Ron Rohde on lease agreements and property management agreements. That's available for replay in the insiders community. We're also hosting a live Q&A tomorrow. So if you would like to get answers to your tax-related questions, you can go ahead and join us. We're going to be going live at 1 p.m. Eastern. You could start your 30-day free trial at www.taxmartinvestors.com slash insiders. Join the insiders group and you'll have access to that. Looking forward to seeing everybody there. 
Also, we're going to have some interesting guests coming up over the next few weeks here on the Tax Smart REI podcast. We're going to be speaking with some multifamily investors to talk about what's kind of going on in the multifamily market and what syndicators are doing to react to that. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation and you might learn a few things. So if you're an LP investor or you're in the syndication game, this is going to be a podcast you're not going to want to miss. We're also bringing on another guest to talk about civil tax audits and when sometimes they become criminal tax investigations and other issues that real estate investors might find themselves in with the IRS and how to avoid them. So you're not going to want to miss that one as well. But with all of that being said, we're going to dive right into the questions here. Uh, these questions are from Tax Smart Investors. If you're not part of the Tax Smart Investors Facebook group already, go ahead and join us at www.facebook.com groups slash Tax Smart Investors. And we'll catch you there. All right. So the first question we have is, if I sell a property, I previously took bonus depreciation on, how does recapture work? All right. So that's a pretty open-ended question. So I'm going to kind of just dive in here and break that down for you. All right. So when you first buy a property, you're going to have something called your unadjusted basis, which is effectively the purchase price plus a few of the transactional costs that come with acquiring the property. Over time, you're going to depreciate that property. And as you depreciate the property, that's going to go against your unadjusted basis, and you're going to come up with what's known as your adjusted basis, right? So kind of just give a quick example. Let's say you bought a property for a million dollars, okay? Then you took $200,000 in bonus depreciation. You would have an unadjusted basis of $800,000 in this example. There's other types of depreciation, but just to kind of illustrate the concept, you have $800,000 in adjusted depreciation. Now, if you were to sell that property for $1.2 million a few years later, you're going to have a total gain of $400,000, right? Because here's how it works. When you sell your property, it's not the sales price less your purchase price. It's your sales price less your adjusted basis. So you're going to have $200,000 of capital gain from market depreciation. And you have $200,000 of gain from depreciation. And that's where depreciation recapture uh, comes into play, right? You're going to pay depreciation recapture taxes on that $200,000. Now, in the cases of bonus depreciation or accelerated depreciation, that depreciation recapture tax is taxed at different rates. So on what's known as section 1245 property or what people probably better know as five-year property, you're typically going to pay tax at depreciation recapture tax at your ordinary income tax rates up to 37% at the federal level. Whereas for the portion of your property that's depreciated over a straight line or 27 and a half years in the case of residential property or 39 years in the case of commercial property, that's going to be taxed at a rate up to 25%. That's so kind of how depreciation recapture works. Just to kind of recap that there and summarize that. When you sell property, a portion of your gain is typically going to be considered from depreciation and you're going to face depreciation recapture tax on that amount depending on the type of depreciation, is going to determine how much you're taxed. When you use bonus depreciation or use accelerated depreciation, you're typically going to pay tax at the ordinary income tax rates. Whereas when you use straight line depreciation, you're going to pay tax at a rate up to 25%. So that's kind of in a nutshell how depreciation recapture works. And again, like we, we've talked about depreciation recapture on some of our other episodes. So I highly recommend that you, you know, go back in time and listen to our take on that. Uh, there is oftentimes some, um, I don't know what the right word, what would you call it, Tom? I don't want to say fear mongering. That's not true. It's, it's, uh, a misunderstanding over, of depreciation recapture. 
Yeah, maybe I, it's not necessarily even a misunderstanding. I think I think what it is is just there's negativity around it, right? So so everybody loves to talk about bonus depreciation, cost segregation studies, the big tax losses. And I think what we're kind of seeing is some tax professionals coming out and saying like, hey, well, this is all, I don't want to say a sham. That's not, that's not what they're saying, but they're just saying you need to also think about depreciation recapture, which is totally true. But I think sometimes they can kind of overdo the negative piece of that. So the key is, is just to understand that when you have bonus depreciation, when you claim that tax loss, you will have depreciation recapture. You should 100% factor it into your net present value calculation if you're doing a net present value calculation. And if you're not, just understand that at some later point, you will pay tax on the depreciation that you have already claimed. And it can be as high as your ordinary tax rate in the year that you liquidate this property. However, again, in our experience, most people 1031 exchange or they do the lazy man 1031 exchange. So there are absolutely instances where you know our clients have just sold outright and they do get hit with that depreciation recapture tax. But I just want you to walk away knowing that, yes, it's a factor. There are ways to avoid it in perpetuity. Right. Absolutely. And you should not fear it. Um, it's a tool. It's a consideration. But if you set yourself up with the right strategy, it's very possible to mitigate it significantly, if not potentially even eliminate it if you do the right things right with step up the basis. But we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. We do have a second question actually related to the depreciation recapture. Uh, do I have to recapture depreciation if I move into a property as my primary residence? What if I no longer qualify for reps or the short-term rental loophole? Do I have to recapture? So short answer to that question is no, right? If you move into your property as a rental property, maybe we're depreciating. Now you move into your residence and move into it as a residence. Simply by doing that, you don't have to recapture depreciation, right? The act of actually moving into the property does not trigger depreciation recapture. If you no longer qualify for reps or the short-term rental loophole, you don't automatically have to recapture depreciation. However, if you when you later on sell that property, as we just discussed in the first question, you would potentially be subject to depreciation recapture. So I hope that answers your question out there. I know that I've received that now uh, at least a few times. So uh, next question we have is more speculative, right? I think this is going to be interesting. Uh, will bonus depreciation ever go back to 100% or be renewed or extended? We have a, there's a lot of uh, speculation out there by tax professionals right now. There, as far as I'm aware, there has been no mention of extending or renewing depreciation recapture at 100 uh, percent in any proposed legislation. I don't know, Brandon, if you heard of anything different. I've not seen anything of the sort at the moment. I saw I saw a grassroots like campaign pop up. I think it was I think it was in Atlanta or it was somewhere in Georgia. But yeah, it was like local politicians basically trying to spur those talks. So I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how far that, that was like last month. I don't know what ended up happening with that. I, I would expect, and I think the general consensus among tax professionals is that we kind of all expect some sort of extender to be passed at some point. I don't really expect bonus depreciation would ever get down to 0%. I would expect some sort of extender probably at the changing of the guard next year if such a thing happens but i i think something something will end up happening i don't know if it'll be 50 percent. i don't know if it'll be 20 40 80 100 but i would expect some sort of legislation over the coming years to extend it right right and we also got to realize that the tax cuts and jobs act had already altered bonus depreciation right in 2000 from 2015 to 2017 it was already at 50 percent, and then the tax cuts and jobs act pushed it up to 100 and extended it out you know as the, the schedule is today to 2026 
So certainly possible, but uh, like there's been no formal word yet. But uh, so we'll, we will see. We shall see. So the next question we have is, how does capital gains work if the seller is holding the note? So seller financing is the down payment and principal installment payment tax at the capital gains rate and is interest tax at ordinary income tax rates? The seller is concerned of paying capital gains and doesn't quite understand how taxes work. So basically, this is how um, uh, installment sale work. When you sell a property on installment, typically you're spreading out payments over several years, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be an installment sale if it was all done in one year. It would just be a sale, right? So when you sell that property, this or the sell, when the seller sells that property, the seller is going to be subject to depreciation recapture on the accelerated depreciation portion that we we're talking about before all in the first year of the sale. So they're going to get hit with that depreciation recapture tax in that first year. The depreciation from accelerated depreciation is not spread out over the payments. Okay. Now there's going to be a portion of capital gain on the down payment that they received that year in that first year, right? Then every year they're going to receive a payment and that's the installment sale payments they're receiving. And of that payment, there's going to be a breakdown, right? Of how that's taxed. Part of it's going to be principal payment that's not taxed, right? Another part of it's going to be capital gains that is taxed, and then the other part of it's going to be interest. And you have to put an interest rate. If not, one is imputed for you, and the seller will um, be taxed at on that interest at their ordinary income tax rates. So, all right, moving right along. If you do actually plan to use an installment sale, do make sure you touch base with your tax pro because you do want to make sure you get this right. Um, and you're not stuck with any unexpected tax bills. Okay. When does it make sense to start communication with a specific CPA more directly for the upcoming tax year from a strategy standpoint? I bought a property in February of this year, and I made it a short-term rental with my first upcoming booking. I would like some feedback on tracking my hours correctly between my spouse, my contractors, for material participation. So it's a great question. That's a great question. So it definitely depends, but if you've just purchased a short-term rental property, you want to make sure you're doing everything right. You want to make sure you get guidance sooner rather than later, right? Because the longer you're operating that short-term rental, the more you could potentially be at risk of doing something wrong. Now, there's kind of two different avenues you could do, right? You could go uh, for one-on-one tax planning with a professional. They're going to sit down with you and take a look at your situation, and they're going to tell you exactly what you need to do to make sure that you're putting yourself on the right track to take advantage of the short-term rental loophole to properly claim it, uh, to make sure that uh, you're not running to any audit red flags or anything like that. And that's probably the shortest method of getting the advice you're looking for. If you're not quite there yet, you you don't want to work one-on-one with an advisor, or you're not ready to spend a few thousand dollars on tax planning, you could also always join the TaxSmart Insiders community. We'd be happy to help you out there. We have a lot of resources in there that uh, can help guide you if you're looking to take a more do-it-yourself approach to it. We've certainly helped a lot of people with short-term rentals through that platform. So go ahead and check that out or meet with an advisor sooner rather than later. That's the bottom line there. Um, so I filed taxes late last year, October 15th. Why am I still waiting for my tax refund? What should I do about it? Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So... First, filing on October 15th is actually filing on time. You know, extensions are not bad things. I know that there are, we have, we have a lot of type A people that listen to this podcast. Don't worry, I am too. Uh, and we like to get things done on time because that's how we were raised in school and, and everything. We had deadlines. We had to hit the deadlines, right? But extensions are not a bad thing as long as you make all the payments needed by April 15th. So a lot of our clients extend 
uh, and they're totally cool with that. So I just want to clear the air there. Filing on October 15th is not late. Filing after April 15th is not late as long as you have that extension in place. It would be late after October 15th. Now, to answer your question, why do I not have my refund? Well, first thing I would recommend that you do, the IRS actually has a tool online where you can you can check where your refund is, what the status is. So I would go and Google that tool. Tom, can you pull that website real quick yeah, for yeah, us? It's, it's irs.gov slash refund. irs.gov slash refund. So first go there and enter the information and it'll tell you where your return is at in processing. I'm actually kind of surprised you don't have your refund at this point, to be totally honest with you. I mean, this is normally, especially in COVID, there was like a four to six month wait on a lot of these folks. So maybe there's still a little bit of that going on, but we haven't really seen that with our clients. So there might be something else that's that's happening there. And what I would be doing is looking for IRS notices that might be sent to you. Sometimes what the IRS will do is, is send notices to you that attempt to verify information to make sure that before they cut the refund check, one, that it should be that large, and two, that you are who you say you are. So they might like reach out and via letter and ask you to like send them copies of your W-2s and you know what what I don't know what else. typically it's just like W-2s yeah. and some other small documents like that. So be on the lookout for an IRS letter. And you know, if it's if you're going another 30 days or or if you get on that refund tool and it's like it's not clear where your refund is at, or if they're like, we don't have your tax return. The next step, I think, would be calling the IRS helpline and trying to work through it with an agent live. And that has gotten better, by the way. So it used to be you like past two years, you could not get on the phone with an IRS agent. I mean, it, it was awful, but it's gotten a lot better uh, as of the last probably like five months or so. So you can uh, you can actually call an agent now and just talk directly to them about what's the status of your tax return and what information are they missing to process that refund. Absolutely. All right. First step again, irs.gov slash refund, and then go from there. Last question I think we have for today. Can I use a garage apartment for the STR loophole? And the answer to that question is, short answer is yes. If you use that garage apartment exclusively as a short-term rental, you don't use it personally, then you'll be able to use it. That's kind of long story short of it. And you could look at that. It's in the IRS publications. It says that if you use a portion of your property basically exclusively as a short-term rental, it doesn't say short-term rental specifically, it says hotel or motel or, or similar establishment, that it is not considered a dwelling unit, which long story short means that it is eligible for the short-term rental loophole if you follow the rules appropriately. So so, you, so what if I applied that to like a duplex? If I lived in one side and short-term rented the other side, you're saying I'd be able to classify that the rented side as a short-term rental and, exactly. and run that? You could do that with a room in your house too, if you wanted to. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's in you do that with a room in your house? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's IRS publication 527. It's if you use a portion of your home exclusively as a hotel, motel, or similar establishment, then it is not considered, like basically not considered part of your home. It's like considered that specific portion basically considered like a hotel, motel, or a similar establishment. Interesting. I, I can see that with like a duplex. I'd be interested to see like what the regulations say about renting a room in your home. I, I don't doubt you. I just don't know where that exclusivity line is crossed. Yeah, basically, yeah, it says that if you don't use it personally, that's what it says. I mean, I, I, could pull, we could pull, I think it's IRS publication 527. If anybody wants to take a look at it, basically says you could carve out a portion of your home if you don't use if you use it exclusively for that purpose. It's like 
carved out of your residence. So, Got it. um, and that makes cool. sense for like things like boarding houses and things like that. You might have some things like that, but anyway, that's it for today. If you do have questions again, you can go to www.taxmartinvestors.com slash insiders, start a 30 day free trial. We are hosting a live Q and a tomorrow at 1 PM Eastern in the insiders group. would love to see you there. And for all the insiders who are going to be there, uh, looking forward to seeing you. So have a great week and we'll catch you on the next episode of Tax Smart REI. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.